in a place where the thrill is all that matters. Rick Rambis and his friends are the best of the best. Yeah! They know what they want. I know that I'm in love with her. So, still want to hook up? You know, shy a lot harder than that, Rick. So, you still want to hook up? On November 21st, the competition is on. Out cold. He's passed out. Gonna need 10 pounds of salt. Hey everybody, Happy New Year and welcome back to Blister Cinematic. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, Mountain Gazette editor Mike Rogie and I are discussing the 2001 cult classic, Out Cold, starring Zach Galifianakis, Jack London from Dazed and Confused, Flex Alexander from Snakes on a Plane and a bunch of other things, Lee Majors, yes, the $6 million man, and a whole bunch of other Hollywood staples. And today we're asking you the very important question, are you among the 8%? Here we go. Well, Mike Rogie, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first blister podcast being recorded in 2024 thank you for having me jonathan i'm pleased to say that my new year's resolution was to be on blister podcast more so i can check that off i'm done for the year see you in 2025 (laughs) perfect i think i think what needs to be made clear to the people right off the top is that when i first told you about this blister cinematic podcast I don't know what the exact over-under is, but I think you had told me at least five times, you're like, I want to be on Out Cold. If I'm not here for the conversation about Out Cold, we're never talking again. And I sort of would say, okay. And then weeks later, you would send a reminder. I just, I'm going to be on Out Cold. We're definitely doing Out Cold, right? So I really feel like this is an incredible gift to you To start off 2024, I mean, this is it. It's kind of like one of the big goals and dreams of yours, and I'm making it possible. So, you know, you're welcome. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I have no extra comments. I think that's an entirely (laughs) accurate description of how this happened. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's it's 2024. Uh, I'm looking at a frigid Lake Tahoe right now. I'm going to go jump in the lake after this podcast. I'll be sure to send photos over that we can share on social because everybody wants to see me in a bathing suit. Everyone knows that bathing suit magazine editor influencer is sort of what I've been going for my whole life. Um, But here we are talking about one of the greatest um, mainstream snowboarding films of all time, uh, which is Out Cold, directed by the Malloys, their first and really only scripted film, which kind of makes you wonder how Hollywood received this. Well, so. I can, I can, we can speak to this a little bit. So this film, Out Cold, came out on November 21st, 2001. It had a budget, reportedly, of $24 million, and it grossed worldwide, reportedly, $14.8 million. So, you know, if that's a bit of an indicator on how it was received, um, didn't, didn't quite make its money back, but we don't, we don't care about that kind of stuff. No, we don't care about that stuff, but Hollywood does. And that's why the Moyes probably haven't made another movie because they lost $10 million. But I will say what's pretty cool is this might be the highest grossing snowboard film Mm. of all time. Mm. So 
good for them. Um, yeah, I think like all cult classics, which is, I think is what we can call it, like it lost money in the theaters, audiences didn't get it. And then slowly but surely, you know, we're in the age of DVDs in 2001. It's passed from dorm room to dorm room, which is what you did before you could share Netflix passwords, you know, before the crackdowns. And this DVD was certainly uh, in my home. I was a sophomore in high school in the fall of 2001. And I uh, was definitely watching this film with my friends, laughing at all the jokes. And I just think it's a cult classic. I think it's a great... It's a great testament to mountain towns. It's a great testament to snowboard films. The snowboarding and it's very good, yeah. and it holds up. Yeah. So, and this was a good time in action sports, Jonathan. That's the other thing. Is like you are at the dawn of the X Games, going from being like a circus to kind of like a prestigious event. Uh, snowboarders started making money. This is pre, really Sean White. Yeah. So this is when like snowboarders were sort of known on YouTube as being the guys that like smoked cigarettes and listened to hip hop and uh, terrain parks were being built. I, you know, one of my favorite little scenes in here is when they go through the terrain park and there's just two picnic tables back to back. And I was thinking like, man, I wish a resort would just do that again. Like go to home Depot, mm-hmm. buy two picnic tables and just leave them up, mm-hmm. build a jump, build a bad landing with a big divot. And don't think about it. Don't think about it for, for a year until the wood rots and then you just Get you know leave it there you just leave it there which is what we did in 2001 <laughs> because that was the environmental message we said is you just left things out there you know oh my goodness all right all right as i have been telling friends of mine that this was the next blister cinematic film we were going to be covering i was shocked at how many people were like oh my god i love that movie or declared that it was their favorite movie of all time. And one of the things I want to say, now I have a really kind of love-hate relationship with Rotten Tomatoes, mostly like a I don't actually care what Rotten Tomatoes ever sort of has to say about anything. Do you happen to know what the score is for Out Cold on the tomato meter? I got to imagine it's in the like <clears throat> teens or maybe the low 20s at this point but what is it eight percent eight percent now All right the tomato well, we meter is eight the tomato meter is eight percent the audience score is 84 percent but every person i've talked to it would be like they're at like 99 percent for this film so i don't know i um it's interesting how you know i live in a ski town my friends are you know skiers and snowboarders they all love this film the tomato meter critic meter, 8%. Audience score, only 84%. So there is a disconnect here. I don't know that we have something to say about this or what, what do you, how do you make sense of this? Well, I think, I think one of the big questions uh, that a lot of our readers at Mountain Gazette, I know your listeners have at Blister, is what does it mean to be core? Like Ah, what is the core ah. of the spore and all that? And I think what the core means is you're part of the 8%. That's it. It's 8%. It's not the other 92%. Nope. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. If you're part of the core, I want you to know that you're part of 8%. And that's it. And that's it. You know, I think that um, I could see why people wouldn't like this film. I mean, it's there's a lot of like insidery mountain town stuff. And 
One thing I know is that people do not like feeling excluded, rightfully so. But the people I think that are like saying the 92% this sucks is a lot of them probably just don't get it. And that's okay. That's okay. okay. Not everything needs to be for everyone. You know, I mean, while this movie has 8%, I'm sure the Barbie movie has 108%. And so if you didn't like Out Cold, go watch the Barbie movie and you're guaranteed to love it. Um, Also, Rotten Tomatoes, just another example that the internet is trash. So, By the way, I think maybe you nailed it with that answer because this film is shockingly accurate, like in a ton of ways about what mountain town life or life, you know, like a ski area life, ski area community is like. It's it actually deserves like, yeah, it's pitched right as, yeah, this lots of good snowboard action and it's a comedy. These these folks nailed many small details about life in a mountain town, life in a ski resort town. A good a good friend of mine is a producer and writer in Hollywood. He's worked on several films and he always tells me that the saying in Hollywood is that snow don't go. And what they mean by that is that making films on the snow is really expensive. It's super weather dependent. And when you have a few hundred thousand dollars, like for a documentary or an annual shred flick or something like that, that's okay. You've got all winter. That's like what you're dedicated to. You're capturing action. But when you need to film, say, like a scene outdoors at night um, at a bar where Zach Galifianakis or his stunt double is going to snowboard off the roof, you need um, the appropriate amount of snow. You, you just need a lot of things to line up. And if you don't have those things, you know, you have to fake it. And then, like, you lose your credibility. And so, I guess the thing with Snow Don't Go is just, like, it's hard to make snow films, especially mainstream snow films. And I think they just did a sick job with this. But you were talking about the description of the yeah. film, and I did want to share that. Um, the official... The official teaser slash studio description of the film. Yeah, let's talk about it. That's right. So, a snowboarder's plan for his own snowboard park go awry when an ex-girlfriend returns to town. (laughs) That is not what this movie is about. In fact, his ex-girlfriend, who was never really his girlfriend, has never even been to this small town in Alaska. And it's just like, and also like a snowboard park, he wants to build a chairlift to Hangman's Peak, the raddest terrain and, you know, North America, like not a snowboard park as we defined snowboard parks in 2001. So yeah, that just shows you right there. This movie was doomed from the start. They literally greenlit this thing based on a false premise (laughs) and good for the Malloys. They made the movie that they wanted to make, which I think is cool. Always make the movie you want to make. Always make the movie you want to make. Um, Well, as we've said, I mean, we have a question that we like to talk about, like, why are we talking about this? What is the significance of this film or the influence of this film? What is its impact on the sport or culture? You've talked a little bit about your world when this came out in 2001. It was, as you said, perhaps one of the most successful mainstream snowboard films ever. But we did just say, and and I want to just underscore this again, they nail a lot of the like more subtle dynamics of life in a ski town. And I, I just think like they really deserve credit for this. Agreed. I mean, um, we'll get into this more in a later category, but the, one of the opening lines is Papa Muntz, who's the founder of this mountain. Uh, they even make 
a cruel joke that he stole it from the Eskimos fair and square, you know, like, I mean, just even that today, like that with what we're talking about with indigenous lands and everything, you're just like, man, that is pinpoint accurate about how a lot of these mountains were created. Um, but I love the line, Papa loved to ski and Papa loved to drink, but most of all, Papa loved to ski and drink at the same time. Uh, that describes, I'd say now, 20 to 30% of my friend group. And like 10 years ago, like 80 to 90% yes. of my, like the Rotten tomato score was 92% that my friends were getting slammed uh, and skiing mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. But to me, the impact on the sport of the culture is that anytime a mountain announces some sort of infrastructure change, anything, literally anything, a new bus route, someone inevitably in the comments writes, Bull Mountain, don't go changing. Again and again and again, which is what Papa Munt says right before he dies Mm -hmm. in a drinking while skiing accident. Um, And yeah, I think that's it, is the idea of maintaining the core, small, fun, vibe attitude of a mountain and not having it become this corporate bullshit machine, which is sort of what skiing and snowboarding is all about today. Yeah. So, I mean, I say the cultural significance is that this, this movie kind of called it. This movie kind of called it. Yes, exactly. And, and I think, you know, obviously we have been over the last 20 years in this period of um, ski area consolidation and ownership consolidation and the rest. And, it did call it. The film is kind of prophetic in that sense. But I also think that, uh, ironically, this kind of, I don't know, raunchy comedy actually does really hold up or can serve as a bit of a litmus test. Like, I do think that if we, you know, I do think one of the things that I find frustrating sometimes um, is that when everybody wants to preserve the like don't ever change keep things exactly the same exactly the way they are cool ski areas are expensive to run they're hard to run the whole mom and pop you know let's just have mom and pop operations forever that's really really difficult and in some cases virtually impossible to pull off and so i think as though we try to think like well where do some of those mom and pop operations maybe need help deserve help uh, you know, and, and, you know, need an influx of cash, et cetera. There is that reality. And I think saying that's always a hundred percent wrong just pays no attention to actual economics. And yet this film <laughs> should be shown maybe every year to some of the buying groups as they think about how do we genuinely preserve some of the local flavor and some of the best things the most distinctive elements of a ski area or ski town and like, let's fight and work real hard to preserve those things. So I don't know. I I think the film raises those questions from start to finish. I agree. And I think even in the film, there's like some intentional contradictions, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like I think of the scene when um, they bring the hot tub in and they're all excited and you're just like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like who in this small, Hodunk Tom would have a hot tub, you know. I think the other thing that's so unbelievable but was believable in 2001 is that all of the characters have their own small, awesome little houses. And you're like, well, that's kind of cool. And they probably own them on like a snowboard instructor salary. Um, And Zach Galifianakis' character, it's a throwaway line, 
but he's talking about how much he hates this new group, this new group. And then he takes a sip of his vanilla latte and he's like, I can taste the vanilla <laughs> bean. Like it just, it's like the best coffee he's ever had. And it's like, that is the catch 22 of all this man is like, I complain about North Lake Tahoe changing all the time, but I love that there's a casino five minutes from where I'm sitting right now where I can see some of like the best musical acts in the country and it's at a casino. Like if you ask me on the whole, do I want a casino in my town? No, of course not. But at the same time, that casino brings sick bands and I go see sick bands a couple times. So it's like, we, we all, we're all living contradictions in mountain towns. Right. And so, well, and uh, to your point, another contradiction where, you know, again, we, as a, as a today's community, we like the idea, uh, very much like I mean this we like the idea of the 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 family owned mom and pop ski areas and we want to sort of fight for those and see those preserved sometimes the economics don't work on that which is what I'm saying but when you just talked about yeah Zach or Luke as his character's name uh, yeah Zach or Luke the character when he's like god I hate all this change oh my god this vanilla latte is amazing but there's another scene, right, when our our uh, del- our beloved friend group all gets fired at the same time, and Zach or Luke stands up and is like, "Well, what are we supposed to do? I mean, look at Pigpen; he's not good at anything." And so the irony yeah. there, right, of like, "Well, yeah, he's literally not good at anything. How do you expect this mom and pop operation to run with completely unqualified?" uncapable people well i think pig pen is great at living in a mountain town and i think that that's something that I, you know i'm always encouraging people when they move to a mountain town is don't try to fit in try to just be good at living here spend a lot mm-hmm. of time outside pick up your dog poop like donate to local charities help out you know like give give more <clears throat> than you take um but I do want to say something too. Like we were talking about this before the pod started. So the Malloys who directed this film, mm-hmm. uh, the Malloys are not scripted film directors. They actually are really sick. Um, just on their Wikipedia page alone are over a hundred music videos. The music video died for a little bit. Obviously it was super, super important before the internet, MTV, all that. It looks like the Malloys kind of got their start um, in the early two, you know, early two thousands. But I mean, they were doing Foo Fighters, uh, Lit, Vertical Horizon, Blink One Eight Two, Newfound Glory, Avril Lavigne, Missy Elliott, yeah. Three Doors Down, Metallica, Black Eyed Peas, like crazy. Uh, and then they got super into working with Jack Johnson mm-hmm. and with Jack White. Um, you know, I mean, they're still making. They just did a, a new Blink One Eight Two, Vampire Weekend, Timberlake video, like. And then what's sweet is they also directed Thicker Than Water, A Broke Down Melody, and a lot of music documentaries. So what I think is really cool is in working a little bit myself in, in with musicians is like you start to understand artistry that is different than your own. And so I think that's where these guys were able to capture snowboard culture in that they didn't have to be snowboarders to understand that one, snowboarding had a very valid, legitimate core and culture that deserve to be looked into because you can tell there's no like, there's not a lot of like goof thing. Like there's no like, let's strap rockets to the snow. You know, like there's none of that like typical stuff in Hollywood movies where, you know, like the biggest, most egregious mistake that I've ever seen is when um, Dexter in, in Aspen extreme or excuse me, TJ falls into a crevasse and it's filled with water. Yeah. 
I was like, where the fuck is that? <laughs> like, there's no steam coming out of it. And I'm like, this is just like geologically impossible. Like what a bunch of, oh, oh, that makes sense. Like in a mountain where he could die of a thousand different things, he's going to drown. <laughs> so like, I, I respect the Malloys in this and that there's none of that type of stuff in this. Sure. There's like some wild antics, yeah. but like comedy gives you license to do that. But yeah, I think, I mean, the Malloys are just, they did a good job with this, with this film. I really enjoyed it. Okay. So let's talk about some of the actors in this film. Uh, dear Lord. It's sort of perfect. So you have Jason London who actually played one of the most iconic characters of all time in Richard Linklater's days mm-hmm. to confuse. He was Randall Pink Floyd <laughs> who said, you know, the one of the best ones, I think maybe they're worried we're having too good of a time. Uh, days to confuse. I mean, Richard Linklater, just so cool. Yeah. Uh, you have Willie Garson who um, passed away, I think like last year, the last two years. Um, He's best known, as my wife pointed out, as being Carrie Bradshaw's best friend, Stanford, on Sex and mm-hmm. the City. Uh, Zach Galifianakis needs no introduction, but back then certainly yep. did. We read that it was his first big supporting role in a film, uh, obviously known from the Hangover movies yeah. and his web series Between Two Ferns. Um, David uh, Kochner, uh, who's champ from Anchorman, and honestly probably playing the exact same character, yes. but if you like champ, uh, from Anchorman, like in this film, uh, he plays Stumpy, who is supposed to be, I think, like the mountain town, like hardcore local. Uh, Thomas Patrick Lennon, who plays the head of like ski school, I think. He's uh, Jim Dangle from Reno 911 yep. on Comedy Central. And then my favorite thing that I did not know is Papa Muntz, who plays a really like significant but like small role in the film. That's David and Patricia Arquette's father. <laughs> and this was his last film role. He's like a pretty good actor, like had a great career and he played Papa Muntz, you know, which I just think is all time. Um, I don't know where any, I mean, Zach Galifianakis is the really the only one that's just crushing it right now. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. And then obviously like the best cameo is the whole film. You hear about this evil bastard fiance, Barry, who ends up being pro snowboarder, Todd Richards. And I'm going to give Todd a ton of credit uh, Todd was one of the bigger names snowboarding back then. He has gone on to have an incredible announcing career. He's got a great, he's on a lot of podcasts. I, I think he has his own pod, but like asking a snowboarder or a skier to act is sometimes like asking a Wolverine to drive. Like it's just not going to really work. And I think what's awesome is that Todd Richards like does a very serviceable yes, job as Barry. Very. Like, and, and I was like, dude, I, What's funny is I didn't know for like a decade that Todd Richards was Barry. I was just like, oh, dude, Barry, the guy is snowboard guy from Al Cole. And then I like remember like the day where it hit and you're like, like again, 10 years and probably hundreds of watches. You're like, damn, Todd Richards. I was sick. Like Todd Richards was already a great legendary snowboarder, but to be, to play Barry too, that's, that's good looks on him, man. That was really cool to step out of, you know the pro snowboard scene and and try his hand at acting. Nice work. And he's great in it. I mean, it's, it is a smaller role and he's great. Yeah. We, we got to talk about Zach though. I mean, Galifianakis in this film, first of all, is just batting. I think a thousand, everything he says is amazing. Everything, everything he says is either funny or touching or completely ludicrous but this guy, um, 
And yeah, he goes on to make all the Hangover films and becomes, I think at that time and through those years, one of the biggest comedic talents around. And then with Between Two Ferns, he's got Obama on there and Brad Pitt and every A-list. I mean, it's it's wild. And you come back to this uh, film from 2001 that he just slays in. And um, and it is so fun, right? Because I think sometimes the Hangover films were so popular and Between Two Firms is such a big deal to see him not in that character role, you know, was just made it all all the more fun to kind of go back and 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 watch this again. I mean, I'm going to go through. So he did um, Dinner for Schmucks with Steve Carell. That was it's kind of a funny story. Um He's Humpty Dumpty in Puss in Boots. He's in the Muppet movies. He's in what I think is cool. He did uh, the campaign with Will yeah, Ferrell, yeah. where he plays Marty Huggins, yeah. which is like a very underrated comedy. Uh, Birdman, Masterminds, Keeping Up with the Jonas, the Lego movie. He's played the Joker in all of the Lego movies. I had no idea he did that. Um, he has, I mean, oh, he just was in the Beanie Bubble where he played Ty Warner, the founder of Beanie Babies. And he was oh, like, right. I mean, he's a very good actor. Yeah. Um, he was on American Dad, Bored to Death, Bob's Burgers. Like, he's been on The Simpsons a bunch of times. He had his own show on FX, Baskets. Uh, he's on Big Mouth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the guy has had an incredible career. He's probably one of the most successful comedic actors. And like you said, he's in this. He's bad in a thousand. You can tell from the ending credits that he was allowed to improvise a lot of his lines. And I think that adds to the authenticity of the film where he's just reading the moment, but yeah, Gal, Gal Fanag, it's just crush it. And like, honestly, like Willie Garson did a really great yeah. job playing Papa Muntz's son. Yeah. And the idea that like, he's going to sell the resort and make a buttload of money. And like, yeah, it's cool. Like that. He has a good character arc in this film. I don't know. I just think it's a, it's a, such a solid cast for sure. You know, we're going to, sometimes you just need to throw things out you know, to the universe, I'm going to get, you know, this is my, this is probably the most woo woo I'm going to get for 2024. Can you imagine if we got Zach to come on blister cinematic to talk about out cold? Because I'd love it. Right. Let's ask him like the biggest question I have, honestly, he is nailing. I mean, some of it is just hilarious, but some of these subtle things, I'm like, did you spend time in a mountain town? Because if you told me that this guy had spent a lot of time in a mountain town and was picking up all of the these tiny little things that are so much a part of just everyday life that we don't even think about it, I don't know. Or he, you know, or he's just like, no, not that much. I'm just a really good actor and I'm a hilarious human being. I'd be like, okay. But that's actually kind of one of the primary questions I want to ask him. Because like this dude literally oh, yeah. could fit into any friend group, I think at any mountain town anywhere like that dude would just slot in and be the funniest one for sure but so they used in this film what i thought was cool is they used um a lot of like standard films like pickup shots from alaska and like the snowboarding is very good but it was actually filmed in salmo bc huh. and i had never heard of salmo it's like a five run one or two lift small huh. resort and um, it's near Nelson. I think I read it's like 25 miles from Nelson. So if I'm doing the conversion rate, that's like what a thousand kilometers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I'm not really sure. Sorry. I we still use the King's English here too. 
Um, and then, you know, some of it was filmed in, in Vancouver, BC. So, uh, yeah, Selma, like they found a small nondescript, you know, there's a pro ski or snowboard that's from Selmo and like gets a lot of out cold questions. So I'd like to find, if you're that person, yeah. please reach out please to reach us. Out. So should we move on to most rewatchable scene? Let's do it. Start throwing out some of your contenders here. Okay. So to me, the most obvious one that I loved is the idea of stupid competitions. Obviously living here in North Lake Tahoe, being close to Palisades. Uh, Shane McConkie was the king of stupid competitions, which is awesome. King of the mountain. That is a great scene from bar to ending. It's so fun. Um, I love at the end when Rick takes the shortcut over the single wide mobile home and most importantly grabs Indy jumping off the roof. It's great style. I feel like no one would grab their skis or snowboard today. Like I feel like grabbing has almost like it's, it's leaving like obviously in freestyle skiing, it's like how you get judged, but just grabbing off of a roof. Very, very cool. Um, what did you think about that scene in particular? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. And I mean, is anybody listening to us right now who hasn't seen this film? I, I, I mean, we are going to be spoiling, so maybe hit the pause button and go watch it. Yeah. But um, just the idea of, all right, first person down who still has the most amount of beer in the mug. You all know the rules of King of the Mountain. The first one to the bottom with the most beer in your glass shall be proclaimed this year's king of the mountain. Pushing, shoving, and cheating are encouraged. Again, beauty and genius often boils down to simplicity, and there is an elegance in the simplicity of this. Now, that said, it cracks me up that there's like, as they're like running out to go start the king of the mountain competition, they're like drinking. Like you see multiple people taking drinks out of the mug when the point is to have the most beer in the mug by the end. And so I'm like, you know, they're not, it's not the smartest. It's maybe not the smartest group of people, which again, true of most, most of us in mountain towns. But, um, I just was like, man, y'all, you're kind of missing, you're forgetting a singular point of the game, which is to have the most beer at the bottom, maybe, maybe hold off on a couple of sips till you get to the bottom. But, um, no, it's, it, you're absolutely right. The opening where Galifianakis is clearly making fun of fight club, which was a popular movie in the late nineties where he's like, you know, the first rule about King of the mountain <laughs> is you don't talk about King of the mountain. The second rule is there are no rules. And the, when they're like, well, what about the first rule? Then like, it's more of a guideline. That's just so, so great. Um, Moving on, I, I think that the second scene, which I also see a lot, people reshare, uh, pro skier and fr- friend of Blister in the mountains, that Sander Hadley, mm. sent me this and said, I'm so jealous that you and Jonathan are talking about this. You have to talk about this scene. And it's the scene where they're in the bar and they talk, why would they even want to change the mountain? And the old timer Stumpy comes in and says, a fellow from Colorado showed up in this ho-dunk town called Utah started making some so-called improvements. Uh, it might be one of the best scenes in the whole film where they say that, you know, like they, they change all these things. And so a guy that wants to, you know, crow like a rooster, drink a little ripple, maybe challenge the mayor's son to a duel <laughs> is now uncouth. And I just, 
feel like that's just perfect in two things. Of one, it obviously hits towards what we've talked yeah. about of like mountain towns changing. Yeah. But two, it also shows the absurdity that like sometimes mountain towns you should not be regularly challenged <laughs> the mayor's son to a yeah. duel um, unless it's absolutely called for. Uh, I love that scene. It's so awesome. That's so awesome. Um, I love the DWI DUI scene where every time uh, Galifianakis' character gets drunk, they mess with him. They strap him to a bull, whatever. I really like when they put him in the car that was, in the driver's we're seat. We're, we're two for two on our they, yeah. Amazing. And they, in the car like crazy they all get in the car and then scream like they're getting into an accident that is amazing um i i personally love the idea of messing people when they're too drunk i think it's all in good fun um and then dude low-key one of my favorite scenes is again 2001 what was the internet like back then chat rooms Mm -hmm. were a big thing and he asks, you know, Pigpen, have you ever been in one of those lesbian chat rooms? And so there's the chat room scene and they're like basically going to have like, I don't know, like text, like online chat room sex together. And they think they're in a lesbian chat room, but it's just two dudes pretending to be women. And then what's awesome is the one guy asks, tell me a secret in like a sexy way. And what he answers is, one time I set my brother on fire. That's just the best. <laughs> i just think that scene was like again like sometimes these films you know feel really dated but i just think like as someone that was in high school during that time like that feels entirely like accurate of that time (laughs) of some of my friends who would come into school and are be in a locker room and tell me about like oh i went in this chat room last night i was like weird yeah (laughs) so yeah that and those are some of my most rewatchable scenes for sure how about you do you have any i missed i have just one more i I wrote down three and and that's okay. really not fair to the film because we could we could name probably 25 scenes that i think would be deserving uh of mention in this category i had king of the mountain the cars spin around and then the third it's it either deserves to be in the most rewatchable or or arguably least rewatchable and I just wrote the polar bear scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time I saw that was kind of the most shocking thing maybe I've ever seen in any film of any genre ever. Did not see that coming. Uh, got real uncomfortable. Do you have thoughts on this? Um, so I think it goes back to what we were talking about, like the idea of like they mess with Galifianakis' character Luke every mm-hmm. time he uh, gets drunk. And so this is one of the things they do. And also one thing I noticed is that like, um, like they basically just like put him with his shorts down and they put salt that you would like melt on a sidewalk in his lap and leave him there. And, a, and in the morning when he wakes up, there's a bear giving him a blow job and I mean, the whole scene's very good. I, I feel like it was probably terrifying to film because <laughs> it's a real bear. That's the other thing. CGI that wasn't, wasn't really a thing back then. Yeah, if you don't believe me, go watch some of the early like Star Wars prequels. Yeah. Like CGI was barely a thing. But um, so, what do you think? What's the most rewatchable? Um, King of the Mountain. That's my. I vote. mean, King of the Mountain is definitely the most iconic. But if I thought about 
there's I can't imagine till the end of time ever not being happy to rewatch the car spin around scene. So from a strict yeah. from a strict um rewatchability, I think car spin around wins for me. But King of the Mountain is just iconic. It's a terrific idea. Yeah. So I, I'm I gonna add an asterisk to that and say that maybe our opinion, you know, those are our opinions, obviously, but maybe Sander could be right and that why would they even want to change the mountain scene? It's on YouTube. It's got a lot of views. I feel like that might factually, like from a data-driven standpoint, which is not why we're doing Blister Cinematic. This <laughs> is not a data. data-driven show. Yeah. This is a show where guys talk about their feelings about films mm-hmm. <laughs> take place in the mountains. But uh, I think that old-timer thing has probably been rewatched yeah. more than anything else. But yeah, I, I think it's a tough category for this one because the whole film's pretty rewatchable. Yeah. I got to say, one. What I don't know where where this slots in, but for me, of course, as a, you know, somebody who's about to get on a snowboard for the first time, I really, really resonated with Anthony's character, right? Who he's like, yes. kind of. I think they call him Wipeout, or like this is what he does. And I just was riveted because I'm like, this is. I'm not. I'm not the guy going to be sending it and doing all the cool tricks and you know, uh, picnic table slides. I'm just going to be trying to stay upright. And so I was really homed in on Anthony. That was like my guy. He was my into the film. And uh, I just want to give a shout out. And, you know, at the end, he really he really comes around. And I, I, I hope that is me at some point. Has one of the best tricks in the whole movie when he goes up that impromptu quarter pipe and sort of whip slides and opens all the champagne bottles. That was like so cool. Like Sabres champagne bottles. Yeah. Like. Yeah, so I'd say that everyone in Aspen wishes they could do that every single day of their entire yeah, life. Yeah, he's really set. He set a high bar for me, which um. But anyway, I, that I I watched the whole movie through the eyes of Anthony. He was my character uh, for this one um, because I'm just gonna try to not fall. Okay, so Anthony is also. We just need to like cover this quickly. His name is um, Flex uh, Alexander. Flex Alexander. And if you look greatest his, name ever, if by you the look way. Up his, if you look up his IMDb, you're like, oh, I wonder what that guy did after Out Cold. Three years later, he played Michael Jackson in Man in the Mirror, the Michael Jackson story. It's like epic piece. He was in uh, Snakes on a Plane. Mm-hmm. He was in like CSI Miami, Blue Bloods, um, Moesha, My Sister's Wedding, Grandma's House, Lucifer. Uh, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, he like w- this guy is a working actor. He was on uh, Keenan Thompson's show, Keenan on NBC. And what's cool is like he's still working. Like this guy has consistently done a piece of acting significantly, like a TV, movie, miniseries. Like there's no like oh there's like a web series. No, like this guy has been like a yeah. working actor ever since. He probably works the most out of anyone that was in this film. Continuously, it's pretty pretty impressive. And you didn't even mention he was in Juice with Tupac. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. He's the con- he's the contest auditioner. Yep. Uh, and what's funny is his his nickname is actually Flex in that film mm. as well. And if you haven't seen Juice, Tupac plays a character named Bishop. Yeah. Omar F is in it playing yeah. Q. I mean, similar. It's like one of the best films ever. Um, highly recommend going watching 1992's Juice. It's so sick. Watching young Tupac Shakur. 
By the way, what I can't wait is for year like 13 of Blister Cinematic when we are fully off the rails and just absolutely revisiting, you know, juice and uh, just anything we feel like. Um, that's going to be a oh, dude. that's going to be a good era. There's so many films that we can talk about that have like one ski scene in them. Well, I'm pretty like, sure Juice doesn't, but I don't care. By then we won't care. And um, yeah, those are going to be. Yeah, I'm already dreaming of 2037 or something. Oh boy. Yeah. Anyway, um, speaking of falling, best slash worst crash or close call, aka. Who needed Blister Plus the most in this movie? My goodness, what did you come up with? Well, I have two people. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, Papa Munts, but unfortunately he doesn't qualify for Blister Plus because he died. You do, you're gonna ski you do and actually drink. There, there I, are actually benefits that come in the case of an accident, like a fatal accident. Um, I'm going to leave that people who go want to want to go check out blister plus can learn more about that we can keep it moving um you're right though he have to ask um maybe lance and Pigpen because they're brothers but here's the thing i don't know that blister plus covers um sibling fist fighting i don't think it covers sibling fist fighting no okay lance does snowboard off the roof of the bar and get his wrecked yeah. in an attempt to you know win the affections of a lovely lady and so i mean he would work and obviously anthony so, you know, as you've told me several times, everybody needs Blister Plus. You're sort of an idiot if you don't. So you could kind of make a case that everyone in this movie needs it, except for maybe Rick because he's so good. But, you know, don't have that expert Halo, Rick. But if you go to the end of the film where there is like bloopers and outtakes, Rick's fallen a decent amount, actually. And yeah. the crash yes. reel is gnarly. We are seeing like some very solid you know, ragdolling going down. And so there's a lot of people, yeah. I think. And by the way, also no helmets, absolutely no helmets in 2001. No helmets. Very good. Um, very good style yeah. was kind of hard to come by because uh, you have to remember, like people didn't really know it was possible. A lot of these people were the first people to ever do this stuff. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the no helmet debate has been lost like again and again. Um, I understand it looks cool. It was a good style to me. I mean, I skied without a helmet for more of my year skiing than I didn't, but now I just feel totally like unprepared, like driving without a seatbelt. It's just something I'd never do, you know? So, but um, yeah, I think that um, there's some good crashes in this, both intentional and probably unintentional. Mm -hmm. Maybe everyone for the first time ever, uh, everyone could use this the most. Yeah, everyone. Literally um, everyone. Best line or best quote from the film. What did you have? Okay, I have four contenders. Obviously, number one, Bull Mountain, Don't Go Changing mm -hmm. uh, from Papa Months. Number two, from Pigpen, Carpe the Diem, Seize the Carp. Carpe the Diem, <laughs> Seize the Carp. That was great. Uh, you know, and then Gal, uh, Luke's, Luke's character, you know, Galpinak's character, Luke says, no regrets. That's my motto. That and everybody Wang Chung tonight. That's a, such a good line. And what I love is the callback. I love when directors do this, when they have like little callbacks to lines. Um, there's a line where that sees the carp line, you know, like Rick says that. 
he's like, gotta go, gotta go seize the carp. And I'm like, that's just such a mountain town thing where you just like your friend says something stupid and it becomes part of the lexicon locally forever. Um, and then I like this one that Stumpy says at the end. This is mine. You're says, about to say, who, you're about to say my number one. Go ahead. <laughs> any, anybody who tells you money can't buy you love, hell, they ain't been to Reno. <laughs> <laughs> that is the only. And so I want to shout, Mike. That is the only quote I wrote down. That one, nothing else. I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend Luke Jacobson from Moa Skis, who has been in Reno, holding it down way before it was considered a ski town or an outdoor town. Um, anybody who tells you you can't buy love, hell, they ain't been to Reno. <laughs> that's. I think that's the one that's got to hold up. <laughs> I definitely like laughed the loudest. Uh, and hardest uh, off that quote. Uh, so I, I think, again, the iconic quote, Bull Mountain, don't go changing. But yeah, but I think uh, we know in our hearts what the real what the real best line of the film is. And it goes to Stumpy. What do you have under what's age Definitely. the best? Okay, so uh, I mean, the, the this is a personal preference here. But like, I mean, the snow, I think the snowboarding has aged uh, very yeah. well. I think um, some of my favorite style in both skiing and snowboarding is that early 2000s because if it looks good now, it's pretty remarkable considering it was like almost no one looks good the first time they try something. And so you think about like Candy doing, you know, tricks over Chad's Gap, like some of these like lines are just like very strong. But for me, the thing that uh, really like a, a couple of these things that hold up the best, the soundtrack, which we're going to talk about, like, um, Brushfire, uh, fairy tales, Jack Johnson's debut album. Basically the entire album is the backing tracks. There's no like instrumentals or anything. It's just like really cool. And, and Jack Johnson's like music at that point started showing up in surf films, snowboard films, ski films, which was a big departure from like the punk rock. Yeah, it was there yep. and like underground hip hop was starting to come in. So to, to have like an acoustic guy, you know, solo just kind of doing his thing was, was very cool. Um, and the junk show terrain park on Bull Mountain holds up amazing. I would love to see more terrain parks build that. And then um, the, the two other things, John Major's wearing a gold and maroon fart bag, one piece holds up really well. I have really good friends that uh, ski and ride at Big Sky. And when Ted Turner used to ski and snowboard, like probably like an archetype, I was always told that he used to wear a fart bag too. That was his thing, like the old one piece. Uh, it's a very astute piece of gear for majors. And lastly, I think that one of the things that's aged so well that I realized now in my late 30s is going to Mexico, <laughs> living in a ski town and being like, I'm so sick of this bubble and I'm getting the hell out of here and going to Mexico. And they go to a bar called Pedro or Ornis. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> I feel like that's kind of what people do now. Like, I'm never surprised. Oh, storms on the way. Like, where's Cody? Oh, he's in Mexico. You're like, oh, okay. You're just like, it's not a bad. If you live here, you have access to it all the time. But yeah, going to Mexico has aged really well. Two, I had I wrote down three things uh, in reverse. Well, uh, reverse order. My number three was just the name Pedro O'Hornies. <laughs> I thought is amazing. Yeah. And uh, if I ever win the lotto, I don't know, maybe I try to open up a Pedro Horny's uh, in Crested Butte uh, just, you know, to pay proper homage. Um, my number two thing I wrote was the car with the snowplow. 
I want that oh, yeah. so bad. That's good. I want that so bad. Yeah. And it's amazing. And it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So that, that actually came in second for me. Um, yeah. Uh, all these years later, I'm like, that's still amazing. And I, why don't I have that? It's good. It's good move. Um, it's not a practical vehicle. <laughs> it's a funny vehicle. It's a good one. But yeah. I, I mean, we one. don't have to drive very far around here, right? It's like everything is like a quarter mile away. So, you know, I could make it work. I feel really, I'm kind of disappointed yeah. in myself that I haven't, I wonder what are the odds? Like, you, is this one of those items, like the car? Could could we go on eBay and find this thing? Like the car from the film? Um, I'm about to ruin everyone who like hangs out on the internet and looks for deep dives like life right now. But you can go find websites that sell props right. from movies. Like you you can buy that. But I was looking, I didn't see any of the things from How oh, Cold. Okay. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can buy like goofy stuff. So, I need to look into but, this. Yeah, go, go deep dive on that. You already touched on this, but I, I wrote down as my number one, Jack Johnson. It First of all, <laughs> I was like, Jack Johnson is phenomenal. I think like a lot of things in life, like we ride certain waves, like Jack Johnson was huge for a while. And, and revisiting this film, I was like, why do I not still, why have I not been putting Jack's music on? It's fucking great. And um, I, I literally, yeah. like revisiting the movie, um, I've been kind of going back and I've found some cool, like actually some like remix stuff that I think is fantastic. And I'm like, and, and as you already spoke to, as this departure from the kind of punk or, you know, more metal kind of based soundtracks. Yeah, it was like, it was like no effects, Blink One Eighty Two, like kind of all the early like X Gamey, Mountain mm-hmm. Dew, Southern California. Some Forty One is in this. Um, we're missing the one thing about the soundtrack is like Weezer's "Island in the Sun" yeah. plays a very yeah. large yeah, role in this, and like, dude, Weezer holds up. Weezer's you know, like some of these like punk bands from like early two thousands. Like, um, I loved Blink One Eighty Two when I was in high school. They were great. I probably have not turned on blink 182 and driven to the office in a long time but like i don't know if i'm out and i hear weezer playing i'm like this is pretty good yeah so i get i grant you that weezer is prominent and important in the film but for me i was like it was about jack johnson and i i thought it was oh, so totally. cool and and um yeah anyway that that i i guess what's aged the best because it was so, so surprising to me upon watching that is the thing that just felt actually really fresh different cool um and so that's why jack got my number one um let's flip this what aged the worst okay uh we've been having a lot of fun this part's not that fun so like low key it's early 2000s the film's a little homophobic in spots um and I'm going to just like give a quick little soapbox. So if you don't want to hear it, just like hit the 30 second fast forward <laughs> if you want. Or you could like kind of listen to what I think is like measurable progress in Mountaintop. So a few of my great friends, um, you know, are out publicly. And they told me over the year that mountain towns are really great spots to be out. Uh, from a numbers standpoint, it can be tough dating. But um, there's a few of the homophobic spots in here you could cut out of the film. And I think it would, would hold up. But um, we need to call us what it is. It's an early 2000s piece. 
if you go listen to rap music mm-hmm. from that time, if you read articles from that time, it's not defensible by any standards today, but we're not talking about today. We're talking about back then. Um, now, here's where I want to really talk about what changed and why this film was actually, we talked about this before, is relatively progressive for 2001. In uh, 1999, three years before this film came out, Matthew Shepard, this gay mm-hmm. University of Wyoming mm-hmm. student, was beaten and left to die on a fence post in Laramie. He died six days later from head trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is how people in mountain towns were seen as treating gay people at that time. So when you go three years later, you have the snowboard film where there's some like language in here that I think we can all agree is not like totally appropriate. You have a character in the film, the bartender, who who comes out and what's cool is all of his friends are like, yeah, nobody cares. Like we're soaked. And one of the lines Pigpen says, is, if you weren't gay, you'd be a pretty weird guy. And I just thought like, that was just a funny line. And I think what's interesting is like, when we talk about these things, I listened to your NAR podcast with, with Cody. And I think like, it's very easy to go back and have this moral superiority mm-hmm. today, but it did make me wonder, what are we talking about now? that 23 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, that was so cringe. Mm -hmm. So I think what's cool is that from 1999, when that unspeakable tragedy happened to like just three years later in a film, which means like maybe the following year, the fact that one of the major characters in this is an, is a gay man who comes out, you know, to his friends in a snowboard town in Alaska. I think that that's really cool. I think, like I said, it's some of the jokes have aged pretty poorly but I think ultimately what's cool is like um, you could also say what's aged the best is like his straight friends accept him, which is what I would say is a very common occurrence in mountain towns today is it's okay to be out. It's okay to be proud of your friends and, and all that. So, yeah. And, and by the way, I, I, I actually love that scene. Um, and again, yes, with all the caveats that you just said, would would that scene go down exactly the same way, you know, if, if the film was made today? Probably not. But all the friends are like, hey, man, we know it's cool. Yeah. Like, we're it's all good. Yeah. Like we and and I, I actually do love that. You already just spoke really well to kind of the bigger social relevance of that showing up in a mainstream movie. But coming back to just our small, quirky little mountain towns, it's like these are your people. And you just it's yeah. like Pigpen is a disaster, right? He's a disaster of a person. And they all support him. And when they all get fired, he's coming with them. You know, like he's gonna go yeah. with them. And you're you are a team. And so in that moment for a 2001 film, be like, dude, first of all, we know. None of us care. They do their fists up in the air, support. We are together. And there really is a kind of beautiful, again, whether you want to talk about a broader, you know, broader social level, that kind of support, or just the fact that us in our small communities, you kind of bundle together and, <laughs> and, and you, you, we do our best, you know? I don't, I don't live in a mountain town and raise a family in a mountain town because everybody's the same. Mm-hmm. I actually think that it's one of the misconceptions that has been pretty poorly represented the last couple of years is that mountain towns are homogenous. I think like you can look at any demographic and find homogeneity in it. But I actually think what's cool is like people are people and individual people are very different. 
And especially in mountain towns, it's a place you can let your, you know, whoever you are, you can let that fly. You know what I mean? Like, it's totally fine. Uh, I like personally the diversity of, uh, I mean, literally everything in mountain towns. I think it's really cool. And I don't think one group is more important than the other. But um, what I found to be really cool from that scene you're talking about is they do talk about working on oil rigs. They make it sound pretty, pretty, pretty miserable, uh, which, you know, maybe that's age, age the best is that it's probably still shitty to work on an oil rig. Um, but yeah, so if you fast forward, thank you. I'm off the soapbox now. Do, can I, are yeah. you done with your what's age the worst? Because I have one that I feel strongly about. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I feel like, yeah. Okay, let's go. For me, what's age the worst is soul patches. Rick is rocking oh, yeah, a soul definitely. patch and it's like, it wasn't yeah. good in 2001 and it's even way worse today. Um, thank God that soul patches just aren't a thing. Then if you're, yeah. if you're listening to it's this like, and you have a soul patch, all the stuff we just said about accepting differences and accepting people in our communities. I don't mean that in this case, just shave off the soul patch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Moving on. Yep. Um, let's see. So we have the gimme more award. What would you want to see more of in this film slash see the film explore further or show more of? I just think they nailed the fun parts of living in a mountain town of sort of making your own fun. You know, Shane McConkie used to say, there's no such thing as boring, just boring people. And I just think that like, that's the thing is you make your own fun in like the never, never land lost boy kind of vibe is really fun. I know that it's been criticized a lot recently, but again, I just do think it's fun. Um, also like, uh, John majors, his Hummer with the Colorado vanity plate that says Snowbiz is like the ultimate caricature of Vale and Altera uh, and what they've done to mountain towns. The company is called major resorts. And what I was going to say is like, I would watch a sequel to this film. Like, I mean, this is how much I'd like to see more of John majors where John majors gets out of the, you know, porta potty that he's stuck in upside down and goes and creates Vale resorts. Like, I would love to see that because I think he's such a hateable, like relatable, unfortunately caricature of like what's happened to mountain towns. And, I don't know. Every time I watch this, the thing that I like is I like that there's there's probably a few bull mountains out there that have turned down offers to be acquired and they've told the big ones to like stick it. And I think that's kind of a, that's cool. I like the underdog. And so I'd love to see more underdog exploration in this film. I'm going to save, I'm going to save my answer here because it's going to become relevant in a, in, in a minute. The, okay. the gimme less award. Any scene you'd cut oh. aspect of the film, you could skip. Okay. So when I was a freshman at the College of St. Rose in Albany, New York, I watched this film a lot and I developed this very, very serious opinion. And this is what I need less of. Anna has the worst French accent of all yeah. time. The worst French accent. Sometimes she's not That's even right. in No, it's gone. And completely gone sometimes. That, actor, that actress has gone on to like do a lot of good television work and like I don't know like what it was, but it is the worst. There's not even a, like my five-year-old does a French accent better than Anna does. And I just think like, I mean, that whole thing of like, yeah, the accents are so bad. I could just like lose. They could have just said Anna was from California or anywhere, literally anywhere but France. 
and this film would have been significantly better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Anna's French accent, I could get rid of that in a heartbeat. How about you? Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit um, when we were talking about the game of NAR. Also, when we were talking about, uh, Cody and I were talking about 2004's yearbook, but there really was um, at kind of around this time. And I mean, it was 80s, 90s, early 2000s, just kind of the, I'll call it the sort of porkies nature of some of these comedies and that stuff. I I don't even care to get on a like moral high horse about this so much. I just like, if this film was made today, I think, I mean, frankly, thinking about the fact that we live in an age where there is the internet and there is a lot of, um, you know, one certain thing on the internet that's like freely available to everybody. And that was not the case, you know, in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands. And so the like, these like titillating scenes that kind of were shoved into a lot of films to get people, I guess, to go see the movie or whatever that, that stuff. While I, while I actually kind of love the Inga character, I think she's great. I just think like, you know, that stuff, we, it didn't bring the film up and also was completely ludicrous dropping like the supermodel in the rural Alaskan podunk ski town anyway my thoughts my cryptic thoughts on that no i think um you know like i think of like american pie Mm -hmm. came out around this time um i I will say um because we're going to talk about this film relatively soon burrell's weak layers Mm -hmm. takes what you just said and flips it where the women are objectifying the (laughs) men and it's just to me it feels uh like comedy shouldn't be justified or anything like that it's supposed to be funny it's very funny she really crushes it well, it's kind of um, well-deserved and long overdue type of thing. Yeah. Um, moving on to the Trying Too Hard Award. What did you have for this? Shots of Goldschlager. I don't get it. I don't understand. I've been in a lot of ski towns. I know there's a lot of different shots, whether it be like, you know, Fireball or Burnett if you're here in Tahoe or, you know, I think Orange Juice if you're in any Utah resort. I don't know. Why is this the trying too hard award? Why is this your answer to trying too hard? Because I think they nailed so many parts of mountain culture Mm. and like maybe, maybe like the eclectic shot is what they're going for here. Like people take weird shots because it's like whatever, but like the, just the gold schlager thing. I was just like, what, what is this? Like, I don't know. They could have, they were so close. It could have been, I mean, I feel like I know Sambuca, like, Sarah Burke used to get people like cold shots of vodka mm-hmm. back in the day. That was kind of her thing, which was always brutal. It was, you, you felt really special if Sarah Burke bought you a shot of vodka, but also you're like, it's a shot of cold shot of vodka. Like, damn, this is going to be yar. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. That was it. How about you? Anything trying too hard? Not, not really. Maybe, maybe I'll just, what I just kind of spoke about some of that, the like, yeah, the, uh, yeah. Sex, sexying Fair. up the the experience of actually living in a ski town maybe um that would constitute trying too hard but no all right let's move on the attention span award is this film too short too long or just right it is an 89 minute film what do you think i think it's just right i would love for them to maybe tighten up the ending Mm -hmm. like 
There's a scene where Rick tells Anna, you're getting on that plane so your dad, and I'm going to stay here so your dad doesn't know where you are. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> logically all. to me. <laughs> like, like he's not going to go. It'd make more sense if you left Rick. But, you know, like, but yeah, I don't know. That didn't make any sense. Um, but no, I think it's, I mean, it's just right. It's a great film. There's a reason why it holds up. I will say, like, we're coming out of, like, our nitpicky stuff. But, like, really, it was hard for me to nitpick the yeah. film. Truly. Yeah. It's just, take it for what it is. It's a 2001 snowboard comedy with an excellent cast yeah. and some good jokes. Like, that's what this film is on the whole. So, I don't want to criticize it too much. I think it's I think it's just right. By the way, we were saying for the film Yearbook, there has never been that much talent in a ski film. Like, the Candide is in it. Seth Morrison is in it. Peak Mark Abma, right? Ingrid Backstrom, like that, Sarah Burke, everybody is in that film. Oh, except Cody. Cody didn't get the call. Um, but in this one, it's like, this is the pinnacle of a sn snow sports film, ski or snowboard, right? In terms of, again, we already talked about, even if only Zach Galifianakis was in this, just his presence and what he's going to go on to do at the highest levels of mainstream comedy, but it's not just Zach. It's far from just being Zach. And so you're right. Like to bring it back, we've been doing some, some nitpicking, but to bring it back, like this is it. I mean, nothing beats out cold in terms of sheer acting talent um, in a film that we keep saying nails so many of the actually kind of nuanced elements of life in a ski town. I mean, I just went and looked it up. Days of Confused came out in 1993. Wow. And the, wow. And the fact that they like, they had the idea to get Jason London, yeah. like Jason London had already been iconic in that yeah. role for that long, for half a decade huh. for that long. And you're just like, I don't know when I look at it. I'm like, dude, that was a great casting choice mm -hmm. for Rick. Mm -hmm. Cause like really like Rick, you could say Rick's like maybe the least interesting character, but he's like the driving force yeah. through the film. You follow his, you know, his thing. But um, yeah, you know, I'm surprised we've gotten this far. We haven't even talked about the love story and the romance and all that, but like, it's funny. I feel like it's just there to drive some plot through the film. Yeah. Like that's it. But really it's about a town being taken over. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think the A story was supposed to be Rick getting over this girl yeah. that he met Pedro Hornies. who has, you know, ends up being Todd Richards, you know, fiance, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's like, this is about a conglomerate taking over a ski A hundred percent correct. And, so, and if we haven't already underscored that enough, I mean, we did talk about, I guess, how this film should be required viewing for, you know, anybody involved in sort of an acquisition of a ski area. But you're right. I mean, I think fundamentally it is about that. It is... um we well, I would all and or also the stuff we talked about friendships in small communities. So I would it's either yeah. it's either first and foremost about friendships in a small small community, or it's about the takeover or the struggles of a takeover and change. Those are I think I would kind of come to the conclusion those are like my two biggest takeaways from this. Um, and maybe don't care to rank one versus two or something along those lines. Yeah, I think that's fair. Hottest take award. What did you have for this? 
John Majors is very much the archetype for how the world views epic and icon today. Okay. My actually literally you? what I wrote, which I kind of just said, this film is a social commentary on the global state of the corporate takeovers of ski resorts and ski towns. That's okay. it, yeah. I don't even know if that's a hot that's take. Right. It's just a different take than how the film kind of came out and what it, what they said the film was about. Um, so I don't even know if that's a hot take. It's just a true take. Okay. Uh, lingering okay. questions slash burning questions. What questions are you most left with from the film? What happened to major resorts? Did they cut night skiing, fire everybody, increase traffic, and generally create a McDonald's commodified ski experience? Um, I, I feel like the answer to that is yes. I feel like the answer to that is yes. There's some real world uh, examples of that happening. Uh, did Pigpen and Inga stay together? That's what. That's and the only question- thing I wrote down. That was it. I had one. Okay, thing. so <laughs> this is my guess. Yeah, absolutely. No, no mine doubt was about absolutely it. not. No doubt about it. <laughs> no, absolutely no doubt about it. Um, I will say something about skiers and snowboarders, especially the shreddy bros out there. They punch way above their weight. They end up. I mean, I did. I married someone that it just way better than me way significantly better than me and so i'd like to say this is another win for the shreddy bros congratulations pig pen you have a beautiful foreign wife who cares about you deeply they live in a mountain town they're at the chamois right now having a nice monday new year's day beer they're great okay they're together that's the real love story in this film Wow, that's your hottest take. That should have been the hottest take. <laughs> that the real love story in this film was Pigpen and Inga. That you got this wrong. That should have been your hottest take. Um, the answer, it is my only lingering question. What happened to Pigpen and Inga? But we all know the actual answer, despite the lovely things you've just said. She didn't think about that guy for three minutes immediately upon leaving Bull Mountain. That's really what happened. I like your version, but if we're keeping it real, my version is the answer. By the way, I do want to okay. use this opportunity. One of the things that I sh- I'm remiss when I've been talking about how the film nails like the nuances of life in a in a ski town. So I think it's the scene when they're all getting fired, and I think Ted Munts points at Pigpen and calls him Pierre, and Anthony's like, "Wait, what? Who are you talking to?" And Ted is like pointing at Pigpen is like, Pierre. And Anthony's like, that's your name? That is the most ski town thing in the world because you don't actually know it. Like some folks around these parts in any ski town have been called something for so long. What their real or legal name is, no one actually knows anymore. And that one really resonated for me and hit home. And I just wanted to... I, I loved when that That's happened and I was like, wow, they are, they are just nailing it all. Anyway, sorry for that aside, but yeah, it <laughs> needed to be said. Okay. Uh, how well would this film work or hold up today if it came out exactly as is? What was your answer? Um, we've already talked a little bit about some of the things that I think would be tweaked if it came out today. I think this film could come out. Um, I think it's more relevant than it was in, for all the reasons we've said, than when it came out in 2001. Yep. So absolutely would work. There would be a few tweaks to it, but absolutely, and it's more relevant today than when it came out. What are your thoughts? Um, 
Yeah, I think that, um, you know, there's something to the locals versus the big ski conglomerate that would work today. I mean, there's so many movies about, like, some big conglomerate coming to a small, charming town that has problems and, like, they're going to fight. I mean, I feel like that's, like, the basis of, like, Aaron Brockovich and, like, a bunch of other (laughs) films. Uh, But, yeah, no, I think it could be made. And I think it leads us right into, like, should there be a sequel, prequel, or spinoff idea? And I decided that I'd watch a streaming series about Bull Mountain if it was made like The Office or Parks and Rec. 100%. Yes. That first, that's a better answer. I just said absolutely a sequel. And now that Major Resorts has been kicked out, I want to very much see what happens to Bull Mountain going forward. And I think you absolutely just nailed it. It's kind of an office style, multiple seasons. I'm 100% in. And I think it's it's limited. It's three seasons, and like the underlying question is like, will the resort be sold to another mm-hmm. conglomerate? You know, but it's also like a situational work comedy. Absolutely. I mean, so. just watching. I, I'm all in watching Zach. Like one evening of him waiting tables at a restaurant or bar. I'm I'm in for the whole time. Oh yeah. I'll watch. The, I'll watch. 20 episodes that are just that, a different night of Zach waiting tables or something, and then going out afterward. I'm into it. I mean, it could be a, a piece for Galifianakis, too. He could be the star of the thing, and he, maybe he's the manager of the mountain now, you know? Um, mm. What piece of memorabilia would you want to own from this movie? I've got three things, but I think you should go first. Well, I already said mine. My clear number one is the snowplow car. I want it very much. Um, and so I don't feel as strongly about the other two. I feel like there are two other correct answers. So I'm going to pitch to you and see. Okay. So I I ran with this car with the plow because it's funny. Uh, but the one I want the most, actually the two I want the most are tied is I want the bull from the bar. Uh, I would really That's the other answer. That's, that's the second thing I wrote down. Jackson Hole, why do you not have a bull in the cowboy bar? What's wrong with you? Like- Come on. No one knows how to swing dance anymore mm-hmm. in Mountain Towns. Like, let's get bulls in there. That'd be awesome. Um, and then, you know what I want really the most is Rick's A-frame. Rick's A-frame is so sick. Mm. Like, it's super small. It's got some, like, That's I was checking point. it out when he has Anna come over and she, like, nails him in the nuts with a snowball. But, like, I love that, like, he has a, yeah. a fully built snowman on his porch um, because That's something yeah. – yeah. that's I something I would two. do instead of shoveling my deck is just be like, oh, I'll just build a snowman. And my wife would come home and be like, what happened to the snow on the deck? I'm like, it's a seven foot tall snowman now. But um, I think like just, yeah, little A-frame <laughs> life in a mountain town sounds pretty, pretty mm. good to me. Mm. Um, so the the one, the only other thing I had written, I didn't have the A-frame. That's a good answer. I had snowplow car, the riding bull, and then... The statue of Papa Muntz. Can okay. you imagine if if anybody had that statue and just put that out in front of your house? You are legend forever. I've been asking Palisades uh, for three years now to build a statue of Saucer Boy. There's a statue of Snowshoe Thompson. <laughs> it's awesome. It's really cool. It's historical. It gives like a sense of like mm. what the early days of Sierra travel was. But I think. In all the seriousness we talk about, about corporate skiing, blah, 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 that it would be a nice show of local culture 
to not put a Shane McConkie statue, but to put a saucer boy statue. And the, wow. and the plaque, I've wow. already read the plaque. It says at a time when people took skiing and snowboarding way too seriously, a man from this Valley reminded us that this is supposed to be fun. And I think if you are a tourist on your first day and you show up and you're intimidated by the mountain and you see this dude on snowblades with a saucer and like whatever, like a statue, it'd be great. Also, we could start running king of the mountain competitions where you got to like from the top of KT all the way to the bottom downhill style. And it's whoever like clicks out and runs to the statue of Shane, you know, and puts your hand on his butt or something. So if you're listening, Matt Peterson or anyone from Altera, Let's build a statue of Saucer Boy mm. in the village. I know that you have plans to build a new village, but I will not consider it or toss my local support behind it until item number one is a Saucer Boy statue in the village at Palisades. I mean, well done. That's That was yes. like a mic drop. Um, I like your idea. I, I would love to have a, the statue of Papa Munts in front of my because- house. So you have you have more ambitious ideas, and I like yours a lot. But um, I would just be the cool guy in Mount Crested Butte with, like with Papa Munts. Um, okay, two more questions. Who won the movie? You know who won the movie, man? Todd Richards. Good for Ooh, you, Todd wow. Richards. Because okay, I think, more. like at the time, I'd be curious. Maybe Todd can come on the podcast and talk about Out Cold, but. And when you look at like all the people in this film, a lot of them like continued on, you know, their acting career, like Todd's a legendary snowboarder. And what I think what's cool is he probably took this opportunity because it was in front of him. He got to be in a movie and was probably like, whatever, it's a good payday. And now he's part of arguably like one of the like Mount Rushmore cult classics in mainstream snow films. And I'm including ski films on that too. And I think that's pretty sweet because I don't see... I mean, you have Schmidt and Coombs who skied for Dexter and TJ and Aspen Extreme, but like they're not in the movie acting. You're not seeing their faces. Mm-hmm. There's certainly some like hot dog, mm-hmm. the movie legends that still live around here, you know, Debbie Dutton being one of them. But I think Todd Richards wins this movie mm-hmm. for me. And I don't think anyone expected Todd Richards to win this movie. So, Todd, if you're listening, congratulations. That's strong. Well done. Who do you have? Well, I, I, it's a great answer. Uh, a case could be made that small, little, local ski town mm-hmm. communities won the movie uh, in as ridiculous of a finish to this movie as it is, admittedly. It's like it's like the the ultimate fantasy, right? It's like the ultimate fantasy film for, for small, little, local communities. That's a fantasy ending. Uh, to me, the clear winner of the film is Zach Galifianakis. I mean... I guess you could say not really because he proved to be so amazing in so many things, but this movie is made absolute fire because of him. And you like think if you put another character in the film, somebody that wasn't Zach, I think the film would still hold up to be clear. And so maybe that, maybe I'm like undermining my own argument here, but he makes it like, as I said, every single line, every single scene he's in, he's on fire. So I don't know. What do you do? You think I do? You, would you push back no, on that I, answer? I would say that um, one of the things that maybe Galifianakis had that you know is kind of nice when you're starting out in your career is that so many snowboarders and skiers watched this film and loved it and probably didn't even know 
how to say his last name, but then when he starts popping up on stuff, like you're like, yeah. oh yeah, dude, like that's our that's guy, Luke, our guy. Like I know I did that with like Dexter Ruteki, you know, forever when he was in like Great White Hype yeah. with Damon Wayans. I was yeah. like, Great White Hype was not a very great film, yeah. but like I watched it because I was like, that's Dexter Ruteki. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. that uh, I could go with Galifianakis. I mean, also Jason London. I mean, playing Rick Rambis and Randall Pink Floyd, coolest guy in high school, coolest guy in a mountain town. It's but, pretty good. Um, you know, good. I mean, the Malloys, like the directors kind of won yeah. as well in that yeah. like they got to yeah. go back to their career, which is like making, I mean, to, to, to be like, cool, we're going to try this Hollywood thing. My guess is they maybe didn't enjoy it. That's just my, just just a guess. I wouldn't even say it's educated. It's just a full on like just speculation. You don't think they enjoyed the? Making I don't think of they enjoyed film? the Hollywood way of making films because a music video you kind of get a budget and you get to like execute your idea as best to your ability. And I think you know this mo- this movie lost ten million dollars. I mean, on the DVD it says Animal House on Ice. <laughs> I do not agree with that. This is not Animal House. It's a different thing. Yeah. But uh yeah. I see I I see where that I see where that is coming from. You know, there is the kind of protest movement of Animal House, right? It's like a a community, a small community fighting the powers that be, you know, that kind. I get it. I get it, but yeah. no. I mean, that's a clickbait. We're, we're not going to we're not yeah. hanging our hat on that. So, uh last question. Yeah. Um our final grades. Is this film overrated? properly rated underrated is it a modern classic a pantheon slash all-timer of a film or is it the single best film in its category i have it as being an all-timer i think that yeah it's an all-timer and i i would say this too about it being an all-timer like it's it's properly rated too in that like I was worried and rewatching it. I haven't rewatched it in a few years. I was like, man, maybe that's like yeah. too much hype. It's become like almost like the it's legend uh-huh. is better, better than like its actual ability. Yeah. And I watched it and I laughed yeah. again. And I was like, this is cool. This is a great film. It's funny. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I, I would only push back on whether it's properly rated only in the sense that we just said we both think it's a pantheon slash all timer, but I think there are now it's been 23 years. I think there are a lot of younger people who probably haven't seen this right. film. Yeah. And so they should go see it. And we are saying we think it holds up and um, we think they're going to laugh a lot. And, you know, uh, Bull Mountain. <laughs> Don't go change it. And remember, folks, remember, folks, Papa loved to ski and Papa loved to drink. But most of all, Papa loved to ski and drink at the same time. We're all just so you know, everyone that's ever appeared on a blister podcast, we're all going to be stumpy. We all think we're Rick, but we're all going to be stumpy. It's <laughs> another good takeaway. Yeah, we're all we're all deep down really stumpy. We aspire to be Rick. We're all yeah. just really stumpy. Well, Mike, um, I'm really glad that I could fulfill this dream of yours to talk about Out Cold on a public forum and have a 90-minute conversation 
about this movie, it means that you don't have to be mad at me forever or stop talking to me forever as you've kind yes. of threatened. And so I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to have had a chance to go back over a well-deserved film. I hope that we will, you know, resurrect it for some people, get some people to go back and watch it again or go see it for the first time. That would make me extremely happy. And I think we've made a strong case for why there really should be a follow-up episode where we do try to get some of the folks involved in the making of this film Absolutely. on to talk about it firsthand. I think that'd be incredible. So our tasks are cut out for us. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2024. This is the year of Blister Cinematic, I think. Well, Mike Rogie, you don't go changing in 2024. And I look forward to more great conversations to come. Thanks, Jonathan. And the next time you're in a hot tub, just be mindful not to be all up in her loving her strong. We didn't even talk about that scene. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Well, there's more, as they say, there's more meat on that bone. So, uh, you know, for another time, man. Uh, right. Happy New Year to you. We'll talk to you real soon. Take care. Well, that's it for this edition of Blister Cinematic. I want to say thanks to Mike for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these Blister Cinematic conversations, then, as you know, we would love it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you get your podcasts. You should also feel free to let us know what films you want to hear us discuss on Blister Cinematic, and we will talk to you again real soon. Happy 2024, everybody. Okay, so Anthony is also, we just need to like cover this quickly. His name is um, Flex uh, Alexander. And if you look up it, if you look up his, if you look up his IMDb, you're like, oh, I wonder what that guy did after Out Cold. Three years later, he played Michael Jackson in Man in the Mirror, the Michael Jackson story. It's like epic piece. He was in uh, Snakes on a Plane. He was in like CSI Miami, Blue Bloods, um, Moesha, My Wedding, Grandma's House, Lucifer, 
uh, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, he like w- this guy is a working actor. He was on uh, Keenan Thompson's show Keenan on NBC. And what's cool is like he's still working. Like this guy has consistently done a piece of acting significantly, like a TV, movie, miniseries. Like there's no like oh there's like a web series. No, like this guy's been like a working actor ever since. He probably works the most out of anyone that was in this film continuously. It's pretty pretty impressive. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. He's the con- he's the contest auditioner. Uh, and what's funny is his his nickname is actually Flex in that film as well. And if you haven't seen Juice, Tupac plays a character named Bishop. Omar F is in it playing Q. I mean, similar. To, it's like one of the best films ever. Um, highly recommend going watching 1992's Juice. It's so sick watching young Tupac Shakur. Oh, dude, there's so many films that we can talk about that have like one ski scene in them. We could be like, that's a ski film. Yeah. Oh, boy. Perfect. 